Well, we're going to continue in 1 John this morning. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at the last two verses of 1 John chapter 2, and we will continue on into chapter 3 this morning. This last Wednesday, we had a family night here at our church. I know quite a few of you were here, maybe not all of you. I love when we do these family nights. I love that it's informal. I love that we get time to just kind of hang out and you get to kind of have conversations with people that you don't get to have conversations with every Wednesday when you're here. There's just a lot happening, a lot going on. And so I'm sitting out by the playground. Kids are either in the playground or on the bouncy house. And I was sitting there next to a relatively new dad. He and his wife just had their first child not, not long ago. And just having conversation with him, and I asked him, I said, what would you say, right, in your short experience as a father, what is the best part about being a dad? And he thought about it for a minute, and then he, he said, I think what I've loved the most is coming home from work. Because I'm gone all day, I'm off you know, doing my job and all of that, and I get to come home and I'm reminded all over again just how sweet and wonderful it is to have a little child to hold in my arms. It's really cool. And that got me thinking about my kids and me coming home from work and almost on a regular basis when I walk through the door, the kids hear the door open, the dog's barking, and so some of them will start yelling, daddy's here, daddy's here, you know, and they come and, and greet me at the door, and that's an awesome feeling as a dad. You love to feel wanted or needed. But then it also got me thinking about my childhood. And when I was growing up, when I was that little kid, and my dad coming home from work. And there are two distinct things that I remember. One was that if there was something fun going on that we were doing either together as a family or just me with my dad, I was always excited for him to come home. And I could not wait whether we were gonna go to a baseball game, play catch, do something. Always look forward to when dad would pull in the driveway. But then there were those other times when And when I was a young kid, this happened quite a bit, where I did something dumb and I got myself in trouble, whether that be at school or just at home with my mom. And I would hear from my mom, you just wait till your father gets home. And then it was a whole different situation on looking forward to my dad coming home. Then it was not so much, yes, I can't wait for dad to pull down the driveway, and more so me dreading that moment of dad pulling down the driveway. And unfortunately, that happened more than I care to admit. But I survived it, as we all did. But as I was reading this passage this week, it got me thinking. John here talks about Jesus returning, returning for his people. And what he gets into is how are we going to be found or what are we going to be found doing when he does return? And as I thought about my childhood and I thought that there were those two different experiences of looking forward to my dad coming home, I'm hoping That as we think about the return of Jesus, we and our response is we want to be excited about his return. We want to look forward to his return, not to dread it or to be in fear of it. And so let's start reading here, chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 28. 
He says, and now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I've got two points for you all today. The first point is that Jesus will return. Jesus will return. The Bible as a whole is not silent about this. The Bible talks about this in lots of different places. One place uh, that's real popular is obviously Revelation. We just studied Revelation. The Bible in Revelation talks about the return of Jesus. But another book that's really popular to look at the return of Jesus is 1 Thessalonians. Paul deals with this issue at great length because there are people in the church at Thessalonica that are claiming that his return has already happened. And Paul is saying it surely has not, and he gives all of his reasons why. But the Bible is very clear. Jesus, even himself in the Gospels, told his disciples that he was going to prepare a place for them and that where he was, they would come too. He would return and take them with him where he was going. But now we have 1 John here, and three times here, Uh, twice in verse 28 of chapter 2 and once in verse 2 of chapter 3, he mentions that Jesus is returning. Notice verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Okay, so there's two times in that one verse he says, when he appears. Okay, so John is making it clear that he is going to come back. He will appear. He is coming. But then again in chapter 2, chapter 3, verse 2, Beloved, we're God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears. John is making it very clear that Jesus will return. He is going to appear, and that is going to mean a lot for his children. Okay? So we'll get more into that here in in a minute. But John also says that there are two possible responses 
when he comes. Just like I said before, I mean, I guess, you know, as a child, I would say there are really three responses when my dad came home. Either we got something exciting going on and I can't wait to get going, so I'm really excited, can't wait to see my dad pull down the driveway. Or I'd done something wrong, I'm in trouble, and I do not want to see my dad pull down the driveway. Or there's the third of nothing's going on, nothing exciting happening, not getting in trouble, so I don't really care when dad pulls down the driveway. But that's not the case here. John makes it clear that there's only two possibilities. And notice what he says in verse 28. So that when he appears, we either will have confidence in him or we will shrink back from him. Those are the two options. Either when Jesus appears, we're gonna have confidence because we're abiding in him, because we're living righteously, we're gonna look forward to his coming, we're gonna be ready for his coming, or we're gonna shrink back in shame at his coming. Now we're gonna talk more about what does it mean to have confidence in his coming, but I want you to listen to this passage. This is from Revelation chapter six. This is an example of what it looks like to shrink back in shame at his coming. Revelation six, verses 15 and following. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? That is what it looks like to shrink from him in shame. Those who are not his children, those who are not living righteously, that will be their response when he comes. They are going to try and hide without any success. They won't be able to hide from his coming, but they will want to. And John says that is one option that we have when he returns. Either we will shrink from him in shame because we know that we've been living sinfully or the other option is we can have confidence in him. And so I think this morning we want to know how can I have confidence in Christ at his coming? How do we have confidence in Christ at his coming? Well, John precedes this, talking about his coming, by giving us a command. Look at the very first line of verse 28. He says, and now little children, abide in him. He's telling us to abide in Christ. So that, that so that is important. He's saying you need to abide in him so that, what does he say? When he appears, we may have confidence so John is saying he is coming. Y'all need to not be dissuaded or thinking wrongly about him. He is coming. And when he comes, either you're going to be confident in his coming or you're going to shrink in shame. And John says, if you want to be confident in his coming, you must abide in him. Abide in him. So then we've got to ask, ask the question, how do we abide in him? How do we abide in Christ? Well, he begins to answer this here in verse 29. He says, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 
Now, this word practices, I don't know if you noticed when I read the passage, it occurs a lot in these few verses. And one of the things I would always tell our students when we would meet back when I was still the youth pastor is when you read a passage of scripture and something is repeated over and over and over again, you better pay attention because the author is trying to drive home a point. He's trying to get your attention so that you will see what he's trying to say. And John here is about to use this word practices a lot. And he says here, if you know that he is righteous, he's asking this as a question, but the reality is we do know that he's righteous. We know that God is perfect and holy and, and altogether right. He said that at the very beginning. Chapter one, verse five, this is the message we've heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. John started with that and now he's reiterating that. If we know that he is righteous, we can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. First thing that we need to see about abiding in Christ is that it has very little to do with what we know. Abiding in Christ has very little to do with what we know. If we look around this room, we've got a, a wide variety of people who have been Christians for different amounts of time. Some of you have been Christians for longer than I've been alive. I'm 36 years old now. And some of you have been Christians and faithful attenders of church far longer than I've even been alive. Some of you that are here this morning have been Christians for maybe just a few weeks, maybe just a few months, maybe just a few years. And hopefully, there's a, a big difference in what you know if you've been a Christian for 40 years versus if you've been a Christian for four weeks. Hopefully, the longer you've been a Christian, the more you know, the more you've read your Bible, the more you understand what God is like, what, who Jesus is, what grace is. You should know these things. You should be growing in those things as you grow up. But notice, John doesn't say anything about how long anyone's been a Christian. He just says, abide in him. Well, how do we do that? Well, we can, be, we can know that those who are righteous, right? If you're practicing righteousness, you're born of him. Well, I said abiding in God has very little to do with how much we know. It has everything to do with whether or not we obey. Abiding in God is not about how much you know. Because let's, let's be honest, there are some of us who know a ton of things about the Bible, but in practice, we're not really obeying. Okay, this is the reality with lots of things in life. We can have a whole lot of head knowledge about something, but still not be able to carry it out, right? I say this with uh, trying to eat healthy. I have a general idea of how to eat healthy, there's a lot of resources for me to read, but I'm not great at saying no to sweets. I have a sweet tooth, and it's real easy to give in and eat the junk food that I know I'm not supposed to, right? Just because we have the knowledge does not translate to the fact that we are abiding by that knowledge. And so when John says, abide in him, he's not saying you've got to know everything. But what he is saying is what you do know, you need to obey, and that should come as a relief to us. Jesus is not saying, John is not saying that we need to know everything 
about God in order to abide in God. What we do need to do is that what we do know, as we've read our Bible, as we've studied it, as we've sat through Bible studies, is don't just let that knowledge go in one ear and out the other. We need to act on it. James talks about, let's not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. Abiding in him has so much more to do than just knowing things. It is all about whether or not we obey. And we all know that we don't obey perfectly, but we're also reminded of what John said in chapter one, verse nine. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, let's not forget what John has already said in the book. But abiding in God is living in obedience to him. But notice what John says next. Now we get into chapter three. Abiding in God means that we are now children of God. Chapter three, verse one. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. See, John says, this love that God has given to us, this forgiveness that he offers through his son Jesus, through his death on the cross, through the shedding of his blood, what that means is for those who believe, we are now called children of God. But it's more than just being called children of God. He says, we are called children of God, and so we are. Right? It's one thing to be called something. It's a whole other thing to actually be that thing. We have people or close friendships, and we will say, man, that's my brother. But that's not quite the same thing as actually being somebody's brother. There is some difference there, and we understand that. It's more than just a title saying that we are children of God. Because quite honestly, there are many times in our life where we don't feel as if we are children of God. And here's why I say that. With my children, I oftentimes see them about to do something that more than likely is gonna lead to an injury. It's gonna lead to pain and maybe even some blood. And my initial reaction every single time, and maybe it's because I'm thinking of ER visit bills, but my initial reaction is to stop and to intervene so that they don't hurt themselves, to try and prevent the pain or the suffering that's about to happen. And so what I, what I do is if I'm seeing it and if I'm available, I will try and step in and stop it. And I think oftentimes we think of God in that way. If I'm really God's child, won't he be watching over me and seeing when I'm about to hurt myself or about to bring myself harm or do something bad and intervene so that it doesn't happen? You see, I think sometimes we think that way. And then when we go ahead and do things that harm ourselves or that you know, make our life worse or hard or bring suffering, we start to think, why, was, why wouldn't God stop that from happening? Why wouldn't he protect me from all the pain that I'm going through now if he knew I was gonna do that? You see, sometimes we don't feel like we're children of God if we think about it in that way. But then John reminds us, verse two, beloved, 
We are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. You see, the reality is we are God's children if we are believing in Jesus, but the reality and the fullness of being a child of God has not yet been seen by us, and it won't be seen until he appears. But make no mistake, that does not mean that we are not children of God now. John makes that clear. We are already children of God, but yet we don't see it in its fullness because he has not appeared yet. Trust me, when he returns, when he takes us home to be with him forever, there will be no harming ourselves anymore or dealing with suffering or hardship or hurting or any of that. All of that will be done away with. But for right now, it's not. But John wants to make it crystal clear, just because you don't feel that right here and right now does not mean that you are not children of God. You are. It is a reality and not just a title. John Stott in his commentary about this says this, this love that God has not only shown to us, but actually lavished on us. For children of God is of no mere title, it is a fact, true, We are called children of God, but God gives us this privileged designation only because because that is what we are by his grace. Whatever other people may think or say, the children of God and the world are so different from each other that the world does not know us. The reason for this is that it did not know him. As his glory was veiled in flesh, so our life is now hidden with Christ in God from Colossians 3.3. Y'all, it may not always feel like we are a child of God, but we are. By believing in Jesus, you are a child of God, which leads us now to our second point. God's children purify themselves. God's children purify themselves. Look at chapter three, verse three. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So John said up in chapter two, verse 28, to abide in him so that when he appears, we can be confident at his coming and not shrink in shame. And then he says, right, those who are abiding in him are gonna be those who are living righteously. That's what he says in verse 29. If he is righteous, we can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And now he is saying, after he says, he makes it clear that we are children of God, he says, and everyone who thus hopes in him, that means our, our hope is in God. Our hope is in that he is real, he is returning, he loves us, he has made us his children. Everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Children have a tendency to be like their parents. My wife has told me before after spending time with my family, all the similarities that she sees between me and my dad or me and my mom. And that's natural. 
we tend to be like our parents many times, whether for good or for bad. But that, that's typically the case. I will even say this to my wife sometimes. Sometimes when she's doing things that her mother would do, I'll call her Kim. And she doesn't like that. But I usually say it in a good way, right? Things that I love about Kim, I will say, all right, Kim. But it's just natural that we are like our parents. We understand that in everyday life. Our, parent, our kids are doing things that, well, we reveal the things that we say all the time because our kids start to repeat it. But anyway, John says, those who hope in God will purify themselves as he is pure. See, now John is making clear, we need to understand God is pure. He started the the letter with that. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And if we now are God's children, you better believe that we should start to reflect who God is. If he's pure, his children should be moving in the direction of being pure. Now, we know we're not going to attain perfect purity in this life, but we will when he comes. We will be like him. We will be just like him because we'll see him as he is. But he says, and everyone who hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. John Stott about this says, the child exhibits the parent's character because he shares the parent's nature. A person's righteousness is this, the evidence of the new birth, not a cause or condition of it. John shows that righteousness, not knowledge, is the principal mark of the regenerate. John makes a big point about us being children of God, but now we get into all of the repetition of this word practice or practicing or practices. I want to read this passage again and just take note of all the times that John says practicing or makes a practice of or keeps doing or does not keep doing. Just take note. Verse four and following. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. You think John is trying to prove a point here, trying to to get a message to those who are reading? John is making it so clear. Twice in these verses, John tells us that those who make a practice of sinning are children of The devil. Okay, so he just got done talking about how if we're believing in Jesus, we are children of God. But then he kind of gives us the the opposite side. If you are not obeying Christ, if you're not living in obedience to him, you are not a child of his, but rather you are a child of the devil, John says. 
two times, John tells us in these few verses, that the reason Jesus appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 3, 5 and verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 8. Jesus appeared in order to take away sin. So John's point that he is making here is that it makes no sense for God's children if they really are believing in Jesus, if you really are trusting and hoping in him, it makes no sense if he came to destroy sin for then us to continue living in sin. That is incompatible. If God's very essence is that there is no sin in him, and if the very reason he sent his own son was to destroy sin and to destroy the works of the devil, then for you and I to call ourselves children of God but yet continue living in sin is a complete mockery of who God is. And John has already said that. Chapter one, verse six. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Some people, when you read 1 John, say that John can be kind of repetitive. And I'll give him that. He is. But John is making sure we know the truth. We cannot say that we are children of God and yet live in sin. And that is what he drives home the rest of this passage here. In these uh, eight verses... Seven verses, sorry. In these seven verses, eight times John makes mention of, makes a practice of, or whoever practices, or whoever is practicing, or whoever keeps on doing. Eight times in seven verses, all but one of them are used in the negative. Chapter three, verse four. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Chapter three, verse six. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Also in chapter three, verse six, no one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. Chapter three, verse eight, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. Chapter three, verse nine, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Also in verse nine, he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Chapter three, verse 10, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. And then one time, he states it in the positive. Chapter three, verse seven, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. God's children will purify themselves. That's what he said in chapter 3, verse 3. The question is for all of us are we purifying ourselves? Are you aware of sin in your heart, sin in your life, and are you repenting of it? Are you making a practice of continuing to live in sin, continuing to do things that you know Jesus came to destroy? That's truly the question for all of us to answer. See, making a practice of something is trying to incorporate it in our everyday life. I am trying to make a practice of journaling. And not like, you know, long, you know, writing 
stories out, but just jotting down things that happen to me on a regular basis that happen with my family and my friends because here's what I've learned about myself. I have a terrible memory. And so when I try and think about some things in my childhood, I don't really have great memories of a lot of it. And I don't wanna forget all of these awesome moments that I'm having with my, my kids, with my family. I love it. And so I've started, I've got myself a little journal and, and as things happen, I just try and jot them down. Just, you know, the last time I preached, I told you all about me and Graham going to Cincinnati for that baseball game. I wrote it all down. I wrote down exactly what happened, how we got the baseball, all of that, because I want to remember it. It's a hard practice to get into. It's hard to get yourself into the habit of sitting down, blocking out all the other distractions and just writing some things down. But it's something I'm trying to discipline myself to do. It takes work to create new practices, to get out of old practices. We know that this is the reality of life when it comes to sinning and living righteously. Because what we all know is that prior to believing in Jesus, we all were living in sin. We were all making a practice of sinning. That was our life. That's what we felt as normal. And so when we come to Christ, when we believe in him, it requires changes. It requires putting away some old practices that sometimes die very hard and implementing some new practices. And we know that's not easy to do. But John is saying, if we are trusting in Christ, if we are abiding in him, we are his children. He has not just called us his children. He has made us his children. And and he says in chapter 2, verse 29, you can be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, it is not the case that when we say we believe in Jesus that we ourselves have to try and work hard to now start living righteously. The reality is God has sent his spirit to dwell inside of us and his spirit inside of us is going to start changing who we are and we will start living righteously. It's a process. It takes time. We understand that if somebody were to walk the aisle today, they're not going to be living a perfectly righteous life tomorrow. The work of the spirit in someone's heart happens over time. As we read the Bible, as we study it, and as we obey it. Like I said earlier, to abide in him is not just to know things about him. It's not just to have a really good head knowledge. It's about obeying him. And that's what he hammers on the whole second half of this passage. Those who make a practice of sinning are not God's children. They're not. So if you're sitting here this morning because you know it looks good to be in church and you know it looks good to get all dressed up and to be involved and to have conversations with everybody, but yet as soon as you go home, you're living in sin, you're doing things that you know God hates, that you know he condemns in his word, you are not a child of God. John is absolutely clear about this. No one who keeps on sinning has been born of him. But if we believe in Jesus, if we know that we are sinful, if we confess to him that we have sinned, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all of our unrighteousness. 
And when he does that, the spirit working inside of us is going to start changing who we are and it's going to work out in righteous living, living in obedience to him. John started by saying, Jesus is going to come back. He is going to return. So the question that we are left with is, are we going to be confident at his coming? Because we're living in righteousness, we're obeying him, we're abiding in him. Or are we going to be those who shrink at his coming? Because we're ashamed of how we've lived. Because we have walked in darkness and not in light. John is warning us. Don't think that you can be a part of God's family, but also live in sin. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, not to allow us to keep living in them. Let's repent of our sin. Let's be people who seek to obey Christ in every aspect of our life, knowing that he is coming. And may we be those who are looking forward with confidence to his coming. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this morning. Thank you for this book of 1 John and John the Apostle who instructs us so well on what it looks like to be a believer. God, I pray we would take to heart these words that John has said, that no one who makes a practice of sinning has been born of you. But yet whoever does practice righteousness is righteous as you are righteous. God, help us to purify ourselves in preparation for your return. God, we thank you for Jesus. We pray all of this in his name. Amen.